0: Good morning, everyone. Sometimes in year, we're in year C, and sometimes in year C, when this reading appears, uh, that first reading, uh, people uh, like to know how can you explain a little bit about what was all that? What was the splitting of the birds, or the animals and the birds, and all that? So, um, our first reading, um, we are being told about a solemn covenant that God is going to make with uh, Abram. Uh, which was the foundation of God's relationship with the people of Israel. Remember, we have to go put the reading in its context, in its time. And this solemn covenant was a pledge of God's fidelity. And uh, the ritual method was an ancient rite of their times, meaning the people and all the tribes that were around them. Uh, In that rite, uh, two parties, because it's a covenant, uh, would cut an animal in two and they would walk between the divided parts, invoking the fate of the animals upon themselves uh, if they failed to observe all the terms of the covenant, of the arrangement they've made. Since God's covenant with Abram is unilateral, meaning only God walked through it, um, that was symbolized by the torch and the furnace. Uh, Only God passes between the pieces. And uh, certainly we can understand it as a great charitable act of God because only God can um, fulfill the covenant. The birds of prey that is spoken about symbolizes the forces that would be hostile to Israel. This covenant led to the covenant of Sinai and culminated in the new and eternal covenant which Jesus himself would seal. With his own blood on Calvary. Much can be said about the Tabor experience, uh, and this experience that we hear in the gospel uh, could be said of Jesus to confirm him in the course that uh, his father laid out for him. We see Elijah and Moses, and you understand that uh, they both represent the prophets and the law. One is a lawgiver, Moses, one is uh, a great prophet, and so they represent both, and Jesus is in the middle meaning that he is the center of all things. And they speak to Jesus about what is to come in Calvary. In St. Paul, uh, in the reading today, uh, remember we look back, what is the context in which St. Paul is talking? Uh, What was the problem of the day? Because he speaks about the enemies of the cross. Who are the enemies of the cross when Paul was speaking this? The enemies of the cross in Paul's time were Jewish Christians, not all of them, of course. Remember, Roman Catholics are Judeo Christians. But the Jewish Christians of his time, who were missionaries who were speaking falsely, they were speaking against what the apostles were teaching. And what exactly were they talking about? They said, these missionaries, that in order to become a Christian, you must first become a Jew they were speaking about, the argument was about Gentiles. Gentiles are everyone who's not Jewish. So they had to become Jewish. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? They had to become Jewish <laughs> in order to become Christian. And the Apollo, Paul said, no, 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 that's not how it works. And so he goes on to say, your God is in your stomach because not only did he talk about that, but then he said, you remember, the Gentiles could eat pork and the Jews could not because it was a dirty animal. And you what Jesus said about that, he declared all food fine. Uh, So they were saying, no, 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 you got to, no, no, no. And Paul's like, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. And they would go further with other things. So uh, the enemies of the cross... In Paul's time, were those who were speaking falsely and misunderstood, probably deliberately. This first reading, going back to it, tells us of a conversation between God and Abraham. In its deepest meaning, that conversation tells that which Abraham was going, what God was going to do for Abraham and for all the descendants. It was the beginning of restoring of humans to an image of himself, God. But that restoration would not fully take place, meaning the whole nature and the divine image of God in the people would not be complete until his son would come and sacrifice in the resurrection, the Paschal Mystery. The faith of Abram, was the beginning, however, of that restoration. The image of God in human nature was broken by our disobedience, by our sin. Genesis 1, 26, we're told we are made in his image. It tells that he created us this way, but sin and disobedience distorted it, the image of the divine one within us. So God immediately went to work to repair it. So he made a covenant with Abraham. And Abraham responded to the promise of God with great faith and confidence. I mean, almost doing the unimaginable. You remember what God, remember what Abraham, take your son atop the mountain and sacrifice him to me. Remember, in the context, that uh, sounds horrible, but in Abraham's time, they did those things. And ultimately, God would not allow it. To prove to Abraham, I desire not that you do this, even though the other tribes are doing it. That was a harsh lesson to learn the way he went about it. Abraham, however, never questioned or doubted God's faithfulness, his fidelity, his love, his promise but in all things gave glory to God. In the faith of Abraham, God found what he had not found in Adam. So what about you? You who are baptized and are disciples of Jesus Christ. Your faith continues the restoration of the image of God in human people. That's why it's so crucial and important about what Christians say and do. Abraham believed God would bring new life into the world. The disciples today believe that God brings new life, the risen Christ, from the barren tomb into this world because of the resurrection of Christ, the faithful disciple will rise again, the guarantee of salvation. Living in faith, you perpetuate the restoration of the image of the divine in the human person. By faith, individuals cooperate in the work of restoring the image of God that was with us in the beginning. And God requires of us what he did of Abraham, faith, trust. In our second reading, St. Paul calls us to be imitators of him who is a faithful disciple of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. What St. Paul meant is repeated in the imitation of the preface of the Mass for today. Lift up your hands hearts. Paul invited the Christians of Philippi to lift up their hearts. St. Paul exhorted them to imitate him. The people opposed to St. Paul were putting forth all sorts of alternatives to Christianity of their time. And, to be honest, it's not all that different right now. Many people putting forth things that are not scripturally based. In Paul's time, it calls division and confusion. And in our time, it does the same. St. Paul was the exemplar model of Christian living for his time. He spoke of the need for constant striving for salvation. Philippians 3, 12. Our Mass invites you to lift up your hearts. The celebration of the Mass is a sacramental Uh, ritual, if you will, celebration of the Paschal Mystery of everything that Christ did for us. In it, we are reminded of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We are to lift up our hearts at Mass. And after Mass, you are to take that feeling with you, where you work, where you live, where you play, where you socialize, We are to live with hearts uplifted, waiting for the coming of Christ. We know that the salvation he brings will transform humanity. Christ will transform us with the power of his Paschal Mystery. And when he does, we shall be like him, as he is now, resplendent in glory that we must be like St. Paul with our eyes and our hearts fixed on our Lord and to stand firm in the Lord. We do this as Jesus did. He stood firm in everything that his Father asked. My friends, and we are told that he was transfigured while in prayer. If you go back and read, while he was praying... Christ went up a mountain to pray. We do not know the precise nature of the prayer offered by Christ, but knowing his three years of public ministry, what he did, he likely was praying for his disciples and his apostles. Not for himself, but for his friends. For it was apparent to Jesus that they had great difficulty in accepting him as the Messiah, who would die? Jesus prayed often for the graces the apostles needed. And on this occasion, while in prayer, while in prayer, Jesus is transfigured, which means his physical features changed during his prayer. And the gospel says, while he was praying, these changes took place. The apostles, if you notice, were asleep at the beginning. Remember our first reading? Abram was sleeping when it began. The apostles glimpsed a side of Jesus they had never seen before, and their lives were transformed in that moment. For us, prayer transforms our lives. Suffering is dignified by prayer. Prayer keeps our souls strong in the face of great challenge. Prayer elevates the mind to the divine virtues and ideals and thoughts. Weak faith can be made strong by prayer the discouraged person takes new heart. Prayer offers the soul the joy of divine consolation when it suffers loss. In prayer, the human heart opens to God. In prayer, the human heart can be filled with the very presence of God that we heard about in the first reading, that we hear about in the gospel. And remember what the cloud is, right? Remember the word? Shekinah, not a rain cloud like here in the Pacific Northwest a particular cloud that represented God's presence in a unique way surprisingly the apostles are afraid when they enter into it I have my opinions about what that was but I will keep those to myself because they're my personal opinions and they have no place right now here for you guys in prayer, the human heart can be filled with the very presence of God then. My friends, this morning I got up and I thought, Lord, I'm going to tell the people tonight, go outside, lay down on the ground, and look up into the stars. As m- but it's going to rain. <laughs> <laughs> so I was walking around. I'm like, Lord, do you not like my homily? Uh, can you not cooperate a little bit? Uh, you know, my guardian angel is like, you better hush, boy. <laughs> Hush up now. Don't sass the Lord in the morning. Prayer produces peace in our human heart. And no matter how hidden the hand of God may seem in your life, and I understand. Prayer reveals God very present in your life, always. We just have to do what St. Paul says, that uh, to stand firm in the Lord. And then even Better. Do what the Father said. This is my begotten one. Listen to him. Obey him. Friends, um, Jesus taught his disciples on one occasion when they said, "Teach us to pray," and he said, "Say, Father." Call him Father. And while Jesus is the only begotten one from all time, we are his adopted children. What parent doesn't want what is good for their children? Jesus would say, you who are imperfect know how to give what is good. Will not your Father in heaven, who is perfect, give you all that you need? And what is it that he gives? Happiness in this world? No. Not that you won't have it, but that you will have a share in his Son's glory. You will become radiant and splendored as his only begotten Son is. That you will have life eternal. And that's not just quantity. (laughs) That is quality. Are you sure? Absolutely. Because there's two really good friends of God in the first reading. In the the gospel reading. Moses and Elijah. I'm not going to say much about Elijah. I know better. Moses asked God. (laughs) Remember, he didn't get to go to the promised land. And yet... We were told they were found to be in glory. They were sparkling. They had life eternal. You will too, if you follow the ways of Jesus Christ. Friends, in this world, sometimes it's hard. Uh, The world uh, has lots of crazy things going on right now. And while at times it may seem our prayers seem ineffective, they are not. So we continue to pray for peace throughout the world. We pray for the people of Ukraine. We pray for the people of Russia. We pray for peace. We pray for those leaders to come together, all world leaders to come together, just talk to each other and to establish peace in Central and Eastern Europe. Yeah. Stop the suffering. In the end, the Father has this all in his hands. But we just do not sit as bystanders watching a movie. We are called to pray and let that prayer go into action. Last week, I asked all of you to give as much as you could as a percentage of our collection would go. And I don't remember. I can't remember. I'm getting old. I can't remember everything. <laughs> but I believe we raised... Um, 15000 to $15,000 from our parish. And those funds will be uh, channeled through the churches of Central and Eastern Europe to get to the people who need it, all people who are suffering because of the war, all of them. And the churches will be there to help them in their spiritual need, in their emotional need, but in their physical needs. So thank you. And uh, I know that combined with all the Catholic churches throughout the United States and the world, um, that will come. But we pray for peace now in, in there. Amen?